That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Lent is bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. That's what we're doing in St. Albans for the second Sunday in Lent. Is that what happens at Calvary St. George's? It is, it is, um, although just a little, uh, a little more penitential. A little yeah. more penitential. I find we have to update the Great Litany for 2024, so we're taking our... It's more like Gwen Stefani. Lent is bananas, bananas, bananas. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we do the, the Great Litany on Lent 1, and then we... Uh, Lent is bananas. It's pretty good. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Now, here you go. Here, let me show you. B-A-N-N-A-A-S. Anyway, we should stop over ahead. So we should stop uh, right now. We just, listeners are dropping off like flies. We just lost the last eight. So anyway, <laughs> but that was part of our Lenten discipline is to cut listeners. That's right. <laughs> Through bad and irreverent chanting. Well, yeah, here we go. So. Coming at you from Waco and Manhattan. We've got some great readings for the second Sunday in Lent. Real, real favorites. Uh folks here winners yeah genesis 17 1 through 7 15 through 16 we got romans 4 13 through 25 which calls back to that genesis reading and then mark 8 which is where peter tells jesus how he should run his ministry yeah and mm. jesus has some words for peter so uh but i w- i will note that this collect is amazing for the second sunday in lent God is described as the one whose glory it is always to have mercy. And he we ask him to be gracious to all who've gone astray from, from his ways, which is to say everyone. So it's a pretty beautiful collect, um, really powerful stuff, themes. And th- this is God's grace to all who've gone astray. We'll see this throughout the readings this morning So for this day. So it kind of ties it all, ties it all together. So here we go. Genesis 17, which you need to know is... This is not the first time God has made promises to Abram. Abram, who's about to be named Abraham in this passage, father of many nations, not just the kind of father. Uh, He was called by God in Genesis 12. All these promises, I'll make you a great nation. You'll be a blessing to all nations. This is seen as a a promise of the Messiah that's going to come from Abraham's family line. But now he's 99. It's been 24 years since the promise was made and nothing has happened. There's a whole sermon in there about God's promises and how his timing is not ours, but that doesn't mean God is less faithful. Um, But God appears and says, I'm going to make a covenant with you and I'm going to follow through on what I've promised. You will be an ancestor. At this point, uh, Abram and now soon to be Abraham and Sarai have not yet had a child of their own. So God made this promise. The promise has not yet come true. So now he's saying, okay, for real, it's going to happen, and it's going to be in a very short time that this is going to happen. And so there's that promise, God saying, I will establish my covenant between you and you, me and you. It skips out the whole circumcision piece. It skips out the part where God uh, 
tells Abraham this and Abraham laughs, which I think is a very preachable passage about people that have gone astray from the ways of God necessarily or don't always get it. Um, but this passage, as it's presented, I think there's not as much to preach on, nothing sort of obvious um, other than God saying, I will establish this covenant, which is what Paul is going to talk about later in the Romans passage. But anything you want to add to this, Jake, if you were preaching this passage? Yeah, no, this is a, I think there's a couple of things here is that, um, you know, as so the first time that God makes a makes a covenant and points something out to Abraham, he's like like what seventy five. The know? first time, um, yeah. I mean, it's uh, and so here you are, ninety nine years later, and uh, what are the, whether that's a lunar year or a solar year or who knows how they're measuring years, but the point is, is that this dog is years. a long time and um, it's dog years, and so but that's still pretty long. A lot and of people so, don't know Abraham um, was a golden retriever. Carry on. Uh, and now I've lost my train of thought. But anyway, but the <laughs> point time. is, is that, you know, uh, God is God is faithful to his promises. And uh, that faithfulness uh, takes a very, very long time. And uh, sometimes from our perspective, but nonetheless, he is working it out. And that's one of the things, too, if you notice in this particular text, is that God makes a promise to Abraham's offspring. And this will be Paul's point later on, is that um, through this offspring, which is singular, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And uh, and so, and uh, indeed, this covenant is established. If you want to give everybody a little bit of a fun fact, um, this is a covenant of grace. And, um, and it is a covenant based purely on God's promises to Abraham, uh, not anything Abraham's going to do in order to um, kind of uh, keep his end of the bargain. And so, but you have this scene of, um, of, uh, of circumcision. Now, why would circumcision be so important? Well, um, you know, we could have a whole conversation about that, but on one level, it's it has to do with a with merit and kind of the idea in the ancient Hebrew culture, the idea of merit. And so, uh, this part of uh, Abraham is, and uh, all of his offspring will be removed because this covenant, this relational relationship, is one that's done by grace. Amen. And that's exactly what Paul's going to get to. And now. all of the men will be excited in your congregation if you preach on circumcision. Guys, I have an announcement. <laughs> At our next men's barbecue. You can, you can make something up, too. You could be like the second Sunday of Lent, according to the Antiochian Orthodox tradition. You know what I mean? Especially high church people who are really into that. And you could say it's also known as, um, you know, circumcision Sunday. Or isn't there? Don't we already have that day? Like, wasn't that yeah, I know. The there's the feast of the circumcision. But anyway, I, yeah. Anyway, that's exciting. Well, it could be as part two. Eight days after so Christmas, anyway. the feast of the holy name, usually around <laughs> New Year's. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is very awkward. Anyway, but um, just yeah, there you go. You know, and so, but God's faithful to His promises. That's the big point. So, you think you've been waiting for a long time? I know. Guess well, what? You don't have to be circumcised. So, there's anyway. all, one of the one of the things you can say in this passage too is the fact that this covenant. He says it's between me and your descendants after you for generations to come. Like it's just so um, all encompassing. And when the circumcision happens, it's not just Abraham's direct descendants; it's the whole household, every male in the household. Um, and so, um, so yeah, this is uh, this is a, a beautiful promise that looks towards the fact that Jesus Christ is for everybody. Uh, so uh, we move now to Romans 4, 13 through 25, where 
Paul is now explicitly talking about this promise that came to Abraham, and he's pointing out that it came not through Abraham's observance of the law, but it was through the righteousness of faith, uh, that this is a promise that rests on grace. Abraham didn't kind of follow all the rules. And again, that's where if you get back into the passage, the fact that Abraham laughs at God when he makes this promise, that Abraham has already tried to do a plan B if God's plan didn't turn out. You know, God had promised you'll have the son, but when the son didn't come with Sarah, he went ahead and had Ishmael with Sarah's servant, um, uh, Hagar. And so now you have um, uh, Abraham in many ways displaying his uh, um, that he was not the star student of the Sunday school class. And yet the promise comes to Abraham through grace. So that's what Paul is talking about here, that this praise, this promise comes through grace. Um, and what I think is awesome uh, about this passage, among many things, is that God is described as the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And this is what the gospel does. It says, you're a sinner, but God calls you righteous. You're dead, but God makes you alive. And so much spiritual life is the way it's talked about commonly is not that. It's talked about you're there's some dead parts of you, but there's some good parts of you, and you got to kind of work together with God, and just you got to, um, you know, that character in, in Happy Gilmore, Kev played by SNL alumnus Kevin Nealon, block the good, block the bad, and harness the good. Read, you know, block the bad thoughts and read more Bible, and block the bad feelings and memorize more scripture, and that sort of thing. And that's not how God works. God works here through giving life to the dead and calling into existence things that do not exist. So this this affects how you pray. Um, are you the God that says, God, make me a little bit stronger and make me a little bit better? Or are you somebody that says, God, I'm dead. I need you to make me alive. God, I'm, I'm broken and I can't fix myself. So I need you to fix me. So this is the thing. Paul says, Abraham was as good as dead parentheses, for he was about 100 years old. We know that is the passage is 99. And yet God brought out from him and Sarah, they're as good as dead bodies, this new life, which is what the spiritual life is. And so I think at the time of Lent, you know, as people will often find themselves failing at their Lenten disciplines. Yes. Uh, and, and I think so you talk about so, you know, have you figured out that you're not good at keeping a spiritual discipline for Lent, whether you're giving something up or taking something on or whatever? Well, if you are you finding that your body, spiritually speaking, uh, metaphorically speaking, is as good as dead? Well, you have a God who brings life from that is dead, that which is dead. Um, and, you know, uh, this is this is great news. So I don't know. What would you add to that, Jake? I think that that is actually a great, that's, that is a great big idea to preach from. Uh, the idea, like, you know, you've been trying all, you know, how's your Lenten disciplines going and stuff like that. Because I think in that very statement <clears throat> that uh, of the, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls, this is the definition here, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's the very definition of faith. Faith is not a little extra Jesus juice to get you through the night and get you through the season of Lent. Faith is the gift that God gives you to believe in him despite all evidence to the contrary. In the presence and believe in him in the presence of the absurd. This is why Abraham is St. Paul's example. I mean, you know, St. Paul, uh, this is, Abraham is a lawbreaker. He wasn't like all that great in a bag of potato chips. His son Isaac, lawbreaker. Jacob, definite lawbreaker. The 12 kids, like total mess. This, this is absurd. 
Abraham is the example because his life on one level is terrible, except for the fact that he believed God and this promise that he would be a father of many nations. That's it. And that's why this promise that he's been given and this promise that's been given to us rests totally on grace, totally on grace. Mercy, you can make the distinction in your sermon here, mercy is not getting what we deserve, but grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting judgment and wrath. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve, which is all of God's love, all of God's mercy, all of everything. Like you preached, I think you preached a couple of weeks ago, it was really good, that one passage that that everybody thinks that um, it was like, yeah, that one time, you know, I really love that sermon. No, I love all your sermons, Aaron. But uh, you said that there's a passage that everybody thinks is in the Bible, but it's not. God helps those who help themselves. Um, And if that is actually in the Bible, then we're all in huge trouble. (laughs) Uh, What we need is is that this is uh, the reason why Paul uses Abraham as an example here is because the whole thing is actually when you read the story of Abraham and go back and read that circumcision story, go back and read Genesis 13, the whole thing is absurd to bring forth a son from an old couple that would have a line that would save the whole world. Mm. Uh, In Paul's mind, that is the equivalent of saying the fact that the offspring of Jesus Christ too, and his work, this Nazarene who's crucified by Romans, is the same and rejected by the religious authority is the same thing as counting us righteousness. Counting us righteous, it's belief in God, and it's all absurd that Jesus is enough. It's absurd that Abraham would have an offspring that would bless the whole world. Grace is totally absurd, but uh, that is, it is grace that God uses to create the faith in our hearts to hope against all hope that it is really, really true. And so when you've finally broken and eaten some chocolate, as ridiculous as that is, you can hope against all hope that it's actually true. Uh, when, you find, when you get diagnosed or your friend gets diagnosed with cancer and there doesn't seem to be any help, Uh, You can believe against hope, against all hope that this isn't it. Death will not have the final say, uh, that he's going to take care of you, whatever it may be. But it's all absurd, and that's why it's all about grace. Yeah, and we see that grace then coming up here in Mark chapter 8, where we also see, as it was highlighted in the College of the Day, that it is God's glory always to have mercy and that he is gracious to those who have gone astray. So, Peter and Jesus have this conversation. This is in Capernaum. This is near a site you can visit near the, where the Jordan, near where the Jordan River starts. And it's it was a site of uh, a lot of idolatry and had some uh, Greco-Roman shrines there. Um, and Jesus, after Peter has <clears throat> confessed Christ as the Messiah, uh, Jesus begins to teach as he says, that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, that he's going to be killed and that he will rise again. And then this is where, crazy, this is another B-A-N-A-N-A-S thing. Peter pulls Jesus aside after Jesus said, I'm going to save the world through my atoning sacrificial death. Uh, Peter pulls him inside and says, no, you won't. Like, that's not what you're here to do. He begins to rebuke him because Peter can't handle (laughs) a God who is one who gives himself sacrificially. Peter wants a glory story. He doesn't want a cross story. Peter wants uh, a, a God who will kick the Romans out of this land and establish uh, a new messianic king, and maybe Peter will get to be the, you know, the vice president or something like that. He'll get to, to rule alongside and get his power and glory and all that. And so Peter says, "No, you're not going to die. God's not going to die. You're not going to be crucified. This, this is awful." And this is where Jesus famously rebukes Peter 
and says, get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Humans want glory and success and achievement. The divine world is one of negation of the self. Um, it's a downward trajectory. It's a place where in death we find life, not in striving and achieving. Um, and this is, you know, Jesus' famous then teaching comes right after you. If you follow me, you it's a cross-shaped path. Um, you will lose your life. Um, you, if you take the other path where you think you gain your life, actually that is that comes up to be a big old nothing burger. So don't take that path. But if you follow me, you will lose your, you'll die. But in dying, you will actually find real life, true life. Um, and so that's that's this. And I think you you know you can preach. So what's interesting is that Peter in in this great sin of trying to tell Jesus not to save the world and that his plan is all wrong, um, this actually make, means that Peter is someone that Jesus can work with because Jesus is the savior of sinners and the forgiver of people who mess up. Again, back to that, uh, what we talked about before. You know, if you find yourself more like Peter, um, rebuking Jesus for the ways he's messed up your life and not answered your prayers the way you wanted, um, well, this is not the last conversation that Jesus has with Peter. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not the last time that Peter will fail either. Um, That's right. You know, the crucifixion <clears throat> story. Um, so Jesus's word for Peter is one consistently one of forgiveness when he falls on his face. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think, yeah, that's that's a great lesson here. And uh, I think there's a couple of other lessons that one can take away from it. And that is um, in a practical sense, you know, especially we're totally fine with a Messiah. Nobody has a problem, I think, in life with the Messiah. Uh, we're just fine with a Messiah minus the suffering. We're fine with yeah. a Messiah minus the dying. We're fine with a Messiah minus minus the rising for our salvation. You know, uh, we're fine with the Messiah minus the cross. That's what it ultimately comes down to. It's the same thing with the, like, the, the, I mean, we're totally cool. Everybody's cool with grace. Mm. It's the alone part everybody has a hard time with. You know what I mean? We're totally cool with faith. I love faith, man. Faith is so wonderful. Yeah. But it's the alone part that drives us crazy. And that's because when you take the minus, minus the suffering, when you take the alone and you really take it, begin to ser take it seriously, you realize that there's nothing to pay back. And that becomes the great offense. I mean, you know, I want to be able to show something. I want to be able to prove something to God. And uh, this uh, dying Messiah, this rising Messiah, grace alone, faith alone, uh, that takes all that stuff away. I don't know about you, Aaron, but I'm a, I've been uh, listening to a lot of um, kind of a late 90s metal music. And uh, do you remember Disturbed? Uh, they're making a they're making a huge comeback was right like now on the Iowa State. apostrophe D. No, it was just disturbed. They you spelled know? it correctly. Hey, okay. they sang the Tears for Fears cover, and uh, um, it was so they're so good, man. But they're making a huge comeback on the like Iowa State Farm, uh, the uh, State Fair scene. <laughs> so anyway, but um, basically they have this song that there's, there's a song that goes sometimes darkness can show you the light, and this is ultimately what. There's nothing left for Peter to give. This is the big point. And so to take up your cross and follow Jesus, why that's such good news is because ultimately, uh, since you've lost your life, 
uh, what else is there to lose? Now you can confess to your confess your sins to God. You can confess your sins to your neighbor, and you can go to them and actually have honest relationships. To take up your cross, to lose your life, is ultimately to gain your life. So in this disturbed song, they say sometimes darkness can show you the light. And the darkness of the cross oftentimes shows you the light and enhances the light of the gospel. This is why so many people in the church are missing the light of the gospel that is a lamp unto our feet because they don't understand the darkness, but the good news of the darkness that comes with the cross. And so um, that's the good thing. And so uh, uh, all we have is a crucified, dying, rising Messiah. But ultimately, you and I, that's all we need. So sometimes darkness, thank you, Disturbed, can show us the light. Yeah. And guys, I mean, Jake also really likes the Grateful Dead, so his musical taste is deeply questionable. But that line is very, very good, very (laughs) true. Uh, And... um, uh, and I think, you know, if you, if you want real music, Leonard Cohen says that the, you know, that the, the cracks oh, is God. where the light gets in. So Ooh. I know, I know. No, I'm, I'm, you're good, Jake. I, I've you never know what I am doing just as we wrap this up. If everybody wants to know what a, like a Lenten discipline, I am reading, uh, um, Nick Cage's book. Oh yeah. I've heard great things. Uh, you just lost one yeah, of the points because you're not supposed to practice your righteousness before people. And now, oh, uh, well, it's, now you've you know, I'm reward. not earning. I've already. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that, I think um, that's that is a great point, though, Jake. The um, the darkness showing you the light, and, and I think always point of the cross, even in the season of Lent, you want people to to feel the mercy of God. Lent is not to make you feel bad about yourself. Um, and then we stop like it's to get honest with yourself and then to see the grace of God in that situation, which is true every Sunday. And I think, you know, um, it, there's a, there are, um, there's someone I was talking to once and he, he had moved from one church to another church and, uh, this guy's friend had, and, and he asked him like, why did you do that? He said, well, the old church, it was a church that was great for successful Christians. And I'm not very successful at being a Christian. And I think, you know, neither is Peter. And, um, and there's great hope then for all of us in that. And, and if your church is the kind of place where it makes people feel like they're welcome, even if they're not successful Christians, then, then that is very much um, in tune with, with the gospel and these passages. So give them the goods, give them the grace of God, um, and, uh, um, and leave it at that. So we'll see you next week for Lent 3. Until then, uh, you know. Do the things. Happy Lent. <laughs> yeah, do the things. See ya. <laughs> and it goes against everything we believe. The thing of <laughs> trusting in the words of Jesus and not in your own works. Yeah, absolutely. Allowing allowing God to create faith in your heart. Thank you. Okay. Okay, bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but... Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.